0: Welcome to NREI's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at nreionline.com. Let's jump right into this week's podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodimer. David, you've got guests on the show, multiple. What's going on? Hey, Eric, how are you this week? I'm doing fantastic.
2: Yeah, so the, so we have two guests from CBRE I have brought on colin Yasukochi, who's the executive director of cbre's tech insights center and lexi russell who is the director of research and analysis and they're the co-authors of this annual uh, tech talent report i mean they do many things but one of of the big things that that we that we've covered for the past few years is this tech talent report that i brought them on to discuss because it's uh you know got a lot of interesting insights and especially like everything else this year, it's interesting to sort of check in how these insights, how, how these sort of things are being shaped by by the world we're living in. So
3: welcome to the show. Thank you, great to be here.
0: It's Very excited to speak with you about tech talent.
2: Okay, um, so I was, I was hoping like, you know, like just re- if we could start with, you know, um, just giving the audience, if they haven't seen this report before, kind of what the, you know, an overview of, of what it goes into every year and, and maybe some of the top line takeaways from, from it for um, that we got out of this year's survey. I mean, this year's report.
3: Sure. The, the scoring tech talent report is a labor market report on technical talent across the U.S. and Canada. And when we say technical talent, what we're talking about is what you do for your job. So if you're considered tech talent, then you're doing some sort of job related to software development, you're a hardware engineer, or you're a systems analyst or administrator. So it's what you do and not necessarily what company that you work for. And what we tried to better understand was what were the trends related to this relatively small, but very important group of individuals who number about 6.3 million in the US and Canada. And um, what are the trends in terms of their growth What universities are producing tech degree graduates? How much R&D dollars are being invested in this particular area? What are the impacts that it's having on real estate markets and location decisions across North America? And so these are very important metrics that many of the tech employers use to decide where they are gonna expand, where they're gonna open new locations, or where they're gonna continue to grow. And how that's very important to the real estate market is that that informs real estate owners and investors what potentially are good markets to be in, because tech has been a leader in growth in the uh, U.S. and Canadian economies, and it's been a top generator of office space demand for many years.
0: So all of the metrics that Colin just laid out, we put together into what we call a score, hence the name scoring tech talent for the report. And it gives you a nice blanket idea of the tech in each of these markets and how it compares to the other 50 markets in the report. Oftentimes, you're very familiar with tech hubs like San Francisco Bay Area or Seattle or maybe even New York, but you're not so sure about smaller markets. Where does Austin sit? What about Nashville? I'm hearing a lot about tech that might be happening in Chicago. So it is the what you do and not where you work, and that's a really important aspect when you're thinking a little bit wider than which markets are "quote unquote" tech markets.
2: From what I remember, you know, one of the things that that you're assessing are or some of the things you're assessing are, you know, looking at the universities and how many graduates they're producing and like average wages for th- this kind of talent and, and and a number of these different. Factors that all come together as part of like this this examination of, of the labor force, correct?
0: That's spot yeah. on. The labor force and all of those aspects really kind of affect who's moving where and why. As an employee, you want to go to where you're getting the most uh, in wages. You know, where can I make the most money? But as an employer, you're on the cost savings amount. So which there's a delicate balance there.
3: David, what I was going to add was that what this report allows tech employers to do is to make a apples to apples comparison across all the 50 markets that we analyze in this report. So they can understand how much does it cost to operate in terms of wages, as well as uh, real estate that they're going to need to house their operation. And so we look at the markets from most expensive to least expensive. And what we found was that the San Francisco Bay Area is the most expensive market by a considerable margin, followed by markets like New York being the second most expensive. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have many Canadian markets like Toronto, Vancouver, Ottawa, Montreal that are on the low end of the cost spectrum because the wages are, are much lower in Canada. And also many Midwestern markets have those similar type of attributes.
2: So, I mean, a big question that comes to mind then is how was this year's report or when was this year's report put together relative to the COVID disruption? And are there any like takeaways now given that huge sections of workforces are working remotely that will potentially have implications on how, um, you assess these markets?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take the first part of that question, and then I'll let Lexi jump in on the second part. So the Tech Talent Report is based predominantly on 2019 data, which doesn't necessarily take into account what has happened in 2020 with the economic shutdowns and, and a lot of other things that have hampered economic growth what we did do is we looked at historical tech talent information over the past and how it's performed over past recessions. And what we found was that during the great uh, financial crisis, great recession, that the tech talent job numbers only declined by half of 1% compared to 5.5% for the overall economy. And it quickly rebounded while the recession was still going on and is on a 10-year growth path. And what we found during the pandemic was that the importance of tech talent and tech in general has rose pretty substantially as many of us were forced to work from home, lead a much more digital lifestyles and having things delivered and grown. And a lot of that has been facilitated by technology. Um, So our sense is that the tech industry and tech employment is going to be doing quite well in the time ahead. And everyone needs tech talent in their company, regardless of what industry you're in. Because as we looked at the data, 37% of tech talent works for a tech company. 63% of tech talent works for non-tech companies. Additionally, when we looked at what kind of jobs were being reduced, specifically by the tech industry since they're the largest employer, we found that that tech employers, all the jobs that they cut, only about 10 to 15% were to actual tech talent employees. So how, why is this important when you compare what the typical composition of a tech company is? It's 50% tech, 50% non-tech, and they've only cut 10 to 15% of the small amount of jobs that have been reduced across the tech industry, which is only about one and a half percent compared to a number more like 10% for the economy as a whole. Lexi, covered that one really well, anything, <laughs> okay. Lexi. Maybe you can talk about the whole <laughs> okay. sort of remote working.
2: So that you know, it raises a question for me, and, and as you know, not an expert necessarily in, in the day-to-day operations of of these companies, but wondering. You know, we've been living in this COVID environment where a lot of people are working remotely, but I'm wondering about like these tech jobs, whether having are are they able to function. Do they need faster internet connections? Do they need to be in an office environment to, to, to actually most effectively do the jobs they're doing? Or are there implications here, you know, or, or, am I, or am I off base on that?
0: No, I think you're, you're spot on. Some of these jobs, just like ours, are easily done at home with limited or modified internet bandwidth. But it's not the same as what you have in an office environment or the security systems around what has been put in the infrastructure for some of the major buildings uh, in top markets where these tech talent are really concentrated. Uh, So, some jobs, and I've heard anecdotally through friends, are, are able to be done at home, but sometimes you really just need the same monitors, the infrastructure, the access, closer access to servers to be more productive. And I think that that is something that we'll see as offices reopen, as people are able to go in. I I know some companies, specifically on that hardware side, if you're building a widget, if you're testing the hardware, not just something on the software end, you really want to be in a, a bigger physical space. And individuals who are in maybe smaller apartments in cities are used to having that space in an office environment
2: okay and what about like the collaboration aspect because i would imagine that's also a big possibly a big part of these jobs and you know one of the challenges i think that's i think what we've heard generally just as like a broad experience broad experience for people working from home for these pasts whatever how many months it's been is early on everybody was Generally, like super productive, and everybody was. was, There were some novel elements to it, and people figured out how to collaborate over Zoom and whatnot. And now, over time, it almost seems like there's been a little bit more fatigue with some of that, and 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 people really wanting to get back into an office if they can, and in part to be able to meet with teams again, in part for training and some other things that are just we're having a harder time doing remotely. And again, wondering, you know, in, in these kind of jobs in particular, how How much is that a a factor right now?
3: This is Colin. So I was going to say that, you know, remote working is certainly something that employees have warmed up to, and that there is a strong desire to have greater flexibility in their jobs to work, work remotely in the future. But at the same time, there's also a very strong desire to want to return to the office at some level. It's probably not going to be at the same level that it was in the past. Because when you go to the office, as you mentioned, collaboration, innovation, company culture, uh, all of those kinds of things that make for a great workplace and for a more productive collaborative environment can't really be replicated virtually. Now, if you're in a situation where you do know and have worked with people over the long term, which Lexi and I have, we have no problem being able to do that. But as we're trying to work with larger teams, it becomes increasingly difficult. So we certainly see that strong desire for many to want to return to the office, but many are also saying that they're gonna expect to have greater flexibility to work remotely more than they had in the past. And so that's gonna have some impact on office markets, along with the uh, idea that at least in the tech industry and probably many other industries, that the return to work is really not expected to occur until either early, sometime in the first half of 2021, which certainly will reduce the sort of ongoing demand for office space until the return to office is, is more widespread and people better understand how that sort of plays out.
0: I want to yeah. em- emphasize, if I can, what Colin mentioned about. Culture And culture has been such a crucial piece that has made a lot of the tech industry companies and even non-tech industry companies very successful in the innovation that they've been able to accomplish over the last decade. And having those organic connections in a physical environment are just not possible through Zoom. It's not the same reaching out to someone, especially if you're onboarding new recruits and trying to grow your workforce remotely Trying to cultivate that culture and innovation and getting on someone's calendar isn't the same as walking to someone's desk and asking, Hey, do you have time to grab a coffee? It might only be five or 10 minutes rather than a full 30 minute block on someone's calendar.
2: And you know, another part of the report looks at as one of the factors what average apartment asking rates are for some of these markets, because that then is part of in 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 wages or costs or general you know for, for for what it means and so there's also been a lot of this talk about people moving from the cities to the suburbs or moving from more expensive cities to less expensive cities if their jobs are going to be potentially you know if they can do their jobs effectively or or similarly but by living somewhere else do you have a sense of like if that's how substantial a trend this is at this point or how this might affect the tech talent markets or, or the tech workforce in general?
3: Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll start off with sort of a broader comment on that. So the ability to work remotely and really from anywhere, I think that that opens up the opportunities for both employers and employees to to live anywhere, to also be able to recruit in areas that they had previously not because they don't have individual locations. And I think that that's gonna be a big positive for the labor market and potentially a big positive for real estate in areas that had not particularly participated in in tech-oriented growth. So we look forward to that being a new opportunity. And with regard to how it's impacting mobility, I think Lexi has some really good insight on that.
0: Well, yes, as a millennial with living in San Francisco, I have a very good insight into how some of this migration might be occurring. Mm -hmm. I I have no less than three to five groups of friends that have moved outside of the city, but not in a negative fashion. It's something that with accelerated timelines. So couples either moving in together are planning on getting married, maybe starting a family, maybe buying a home. Uh, Most of them have stayed within the Bay Area. Some of them have moved home, wherever that is across the country. And that has just been a very interesting trend that we've seen. I think that that accelerated timeframe, particularly for the millennial section of the market, is something that might be a little more holding far as long term but the thing is is that they're not going to any quote unquote new markets they are going to places that like we mentioned the tech industry and these tech workforces are already in so it has provided kind of a better more potentially like colin mentioned stronger pull to what i would term smaller tech markets so it's not your mega cities but Places where you can have a home and a school district, and that increase the potential for growth across the board, long term.
2: We're not just seeing a bunch of people move to South at the same time, try to like tech hub there.
0: Not quite. Uh, I do really think that the infrastructure, as well, that's built up in cities. So, and by cities, I mean major metros. You know, your San Diego's, your suburban Chicago's. New Jersey, even South Florida, are are really popular places because they have act, all of the live work play that we talk about when we are talking about cities. Uh, but they also have space that you don't get in a Manhattan or in San Francisco.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's that's all. Yeah, very fascinating to hear because I I feel like there's just been I've been trying to hesitate to over generalize um, based on some of the other reporting I've seen out there where there's stuff in the new york times about oh my god all these tons and tons of people like moving to new jersey all of a sudden and to me it just seemed like part of what could be happening like you said is people that were already on that trajectory maybe just sped that up also we had a period of a few months where probably nobody was really moving so essentially we may have just had a a, in some at least to some degree just an accelerated period of activity both from like from People that were planning to do that and were stuck for a couple of months, or, or in addition to people who maybe were looking forward and planning to do this in a one or two years, but are just going to do it now because they want to have, you know, they want to have more space, they want to have the home office or whatever. And as a result, to not yet overgeneralize about the future of New York being dead or some of these things that I've seen. So I don't. Know, that that's kind of been my gut reaction to it, and and in thinking about, we just have to kind of wait and see. Where we are in another six to twelve months before making any sweeping judgments about the future of some you know of some of these trends. I don't know, that's just that's just my think.
0: I think it's really important to, like you mentioned, recognize that those time frames, you know, are we being very reactionary in the short term? and what do we believe is going to hold for the long term? In the long term, large metros have proven themselves over and over again to be, strong and resilient in the face of downturns, whether that's previous pandemics or just recessions. Whereas in the short term right now, everyone is trying to figure out how do we make it work and how long do we have to make it work? So I think that those two timeframes are very important to re- recognize whether you're an investor or an occupier.
2: So when does um, next year's version of this report get start getting put together?
3: So that, you know, we typically release the report annually in June time frame. So the new data for what's gone on in 2020 comes out at the end of April. And then we compile the report after that. And so that'll give us a better picture of, you know, what's actually transpired through the year. But sort of getting back to what you're talking about, the cities, I think we firmly believe that the large, especially transit-oriented cities, will rebound, they just may not rebound as quickly as they had in the past, because there's still some lingering fears as it relates to public transportation, you know, large crowds and those sort of things that will eventually normalize over time. And I think that the policies that employers establish, probably, you know, next year as it relates to returning to work, that's going to have a really big impact on how quickly the cities rebound. So to the extent that employers are opening their offices, doing it safely, allowing their employees to come back, and in some cases, maybe mandating some employees do come back and allowing greater flexibility to others will you know, lead to a much quicker recovery than policies that drag out over time, because we do feel that there are great benefits to collaborating within a, within a workspace, but being able to do it safely. And we also feel strongly that centrally located offices are still going to be important, like the Manhattans, like the Chicagos, like Boston, San Francisco, all of these transit-oriented markets, where it's easy for a diverse team that lives across geographies to get to, to be able to meet and collaborate.
2: Yeah, our company that NREI is part of is called Informa, and that's pretty much aligning with, with what the the strategy had that it's come down from the corporate level where some small regional offices, I think, you know, maybe a couple dozen internet um, in the U S and internationally offices that had fewer than 20 people coming to them. Those are being, are being shut down and people are being reallocated to large, to some nearby larger hub offices. And then in New York city, where we have a few hundred employees in in one office in Midtown. Currently, people are are welcome back in the office, but it's uh, 25% occupancy on on a single one of our three floors to start. That amounts to up to 30 workstations per day on a single floor. And then I think the other two floors that are part of that headquarters are are supposed to come online between now and the end of the year. So eventually we might have... 25% 25 percent of our previous occupancy on the three floors uh, up up to that ma- amount every single day and so far and and the, and the kind of policy that they've been pushing for us internally is coordinate with your teams if you want to come to the office centralized tasks where you want to do the kind of tasks that, that will be most effective when you do together and then replan to do other things when you're working from home that you don't need to be as collaborative with and we've just been doing that now for a couple of weeks but it's um, seems to have gotten off to a good start so far from what I've been able to gauge. and that sounds pretty similar to I think what other to what a lot of companies are doing in this in this in this uh, now if not
3: doing this right now or what they're talking about doing. Yeah, that's the same that, that we're hearing as well.
2: Are there other big takeaways on on this report that um, or you know just from the market in general that we haven't touched on that, that you think would be important for people to to, to hear about right now?
3: I would say one important takeaway for you know real estate owners and investors is to realize from this report what they're really getting into is how tech employers are thinking about their workforces and how that drives their location strategies in terms of where they want to be where they might expand and as a real estate investor to the extent that you can understand that that you can put yourself in a good position to be able to receive that additional demand in your market or growth, within your your properties or even your portfolios to what markets are most important because talent really drives what the behavior is gonna be on the location side as it relates to tech employers. I'd say that that's an important takeaway for listeners to, to better understand because oftentimes they'll look at it as this is a labor market report, I'm a real estate investor, why should I be interested in it? That's the reason you should be interested in it.
0: I also want to add and emphasize that the Tech Talent Report does cover all industries. So we do talk a lot about the tech industry itself that is heavily concentrated in places like San Francisco Bay Area. But like Colin mentioned, over 60% of these technical workers are in non-tech industries. They're in healthcare. They're in finance. They're in, they do consulting. They are all across the country. And so it's important to kind of use this report in that really good framework that Colin pointed out to understand the differences across markets because it's not all about the tech industry, but the tech talent is definitely what's driving innovation moving forward.
2: Oh, one other sort of question sorry, about the markets, was there any
3: big movement year over year in these rankings? So yes. Yeah, so the biggest movement on within the top 10 is Washington, D.C. So that market moved up from number four in the 2019 report to number two in the 2020 report. And what's happened there is that the drop growth has really started to resume in Washington, D.C. after many years of low or no growth due to the lingering impacts of the sequester that was put in place many years ago. So that was a market that moved up. There's been other markets that have moved up similarly as well. Denver moved up a spot in the top 10. And then a bunch of the Canadian markets also moved up. They didn't necessarily all break into the top 10. But certainly there's been tremendous growth in Canada due to their high quality of tech talent as well as the, the lower cost. But generally, you know, it's it's been pretty stable over the last year or so in terms of markets and where they're they're headed they're all growing some are growing faster than others and when that happens they typically move up in the ranking
2: okay well i think that that gives a really good flavor for some of the insights and oh and how um if people want to get this full report what's the best way for them to to, to see it
0: we have a wonderful website dedicated to the report, or you can download the report. And we have created a tech analyzer tool. So it's a little tech tool. You can play with some of the data in it. And the easiest way to get there is to just Google CBRE Tech Talent, and it, it will get you right to the website.
2: Great. Well, I want to thank, thank you both for, for coming on the podcast and for um, taking the time to, to provide all these insights
0: thank you for having
1: us. Thank you, David.
3: Great to be with you.
1: Lexi and Colin, you guys were fantastic. I, I'm i a geek at heart, so I love the tech stuff and I loved listening to you speak with David. David, again, I, I've said it before, you always bring on the best guests. Thank you so much for bringing them on. And of course, the last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Commentary Podcast with David Bodimer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device this makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at NREI, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NREI or Informa. The content has been made available for information and educational purposes only.